Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. The New England Revolution increased their new unbeaten streak to one game on Saturday as they escaped Seattle with a 3-3 draw against the Sounders. The game was a back-and-forth encounter that started with the Sounders drawing first blood in the second minute and New England bringing the game level in the 87th minute on a Carles Hill penalty kick. Michael Mancien scored his first career pro goal in his first game back from injury, while Gustavo Bo added his third goal in five games for New England. Carles Hill added a goal and assist, bringing him one goal short of becoming the second Revolution player ever to notch 10 goals and 10 assists in a season. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today to break down a crazy, crazy game is a new guest, first time on the podcast, from the Bent Musket, it's Matt Medoff. Matt, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Hey, Greg. Going good. Uh, thanks for having me on. How's it going for you? Uh, it's going great. It's going great. I, I will say, I want to make sure, I didn't ask you this before the podcast. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Because I got some crap last week from Seth and Carl. <laughs> I think so. It's Medoff. Medoff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe it was wrong, but I'll get half credit either way. But um, Yeah, close enough. <laughs> yeah, new writer for the Bent Musket. Uh, I, I've talked with you a couple times on Discord and on Twitter, so I'm really glad that we're able to bring you on the podcast and talk some soccer today. So first key takeaway from you on Revolution Recap, it, there's, there's a lot of ways to go. It was a huge game, a lot of scoring chances back and forth, really one of the better games of the season. Uh, what was your key takeaway from yesterday's match? I think the biggest takeaway that I took from it was uh, the team really has no quit. I mean, they came out, they didn't look too good, they gave up the early goal. Uh, the second game in a row they've done that, but they fought back and uh, you know just, just didn't give up. It's not the same team we saw at the beginning of the season where one goal would have been pretty much a, a knockout blow to them. So it's good to see that they're, uh, they'll fight through and keep playing. Yeah, and, and what's crazy too is I think like 10 minutes in, I tweeted out, you know, this is going to be a long day. They conceded in the second minute uh, on a goal that was really sloppy. I mean, it seemed like one of those games that is just going to go downhill quick. And, you know, the way the Revs came out, they came out in a new formation. They, they seemed to have some kinks in it. The defense and, and midfield were pretty far apart and spread thin at points. But when it was working, it was working great. And even though they were down, they responded back in the first half. And they kept piling, piling it on, almost made it 3-1 to one at the end of the half. Ended up going into the uh, halftime 2-1. to one. Then they give up two goals in the span of two minutes. That's another kind of backbreaker that you kind of expect the team to fall apart at. Uh, their legs were clearly worn down, and they, they still fought back and got a point out of this game. So, you know, it's tough going to a place like Seattle and fighting back fighting back from behind twice, but um, the Revs certainly did that. And I, I think if this is April and they're playing in Seattle and you concede in the first minute, you know, it, it, it seemed like a game that could have gone sideways really, really quickly, almost like one of those, like, Atlanta 7 nothing games, so... Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you, and that's that's part of the Bruce Arena effect, I think. So, um, definitely, <laughs> I'm going to actually kind of go in not a, a bit of a different direction, but one narrative was that the Revs kind of quit on the team, not quit on the team, but certainly in the the Friedel's days, they seemed a little bit out of it in the Chicago and Philadelphia games. And yesterday was we saw a bit of a counter to that. Uh, I have another counter from an, a narrative earlier in the season, and that was we talked about how the Revs weren't getting shots on target, they weren't making the most of their out of their offensive chances totally different yesterday you know yesterday is a game where if we're being honest i think seattle was probably the better team on the day seattle had 18 scoring chances to the revs nine they had 21 shots to the revs 11 the revs clearly were kind of absorbing a lot of pressure and and, and weren't going all out attack the entire game they're a bit on their back foot because 
you know, sales very, very strong at home. Uh, but when you consider, even though the Revs were outshot 21 to 11, the Revs had seven shots, the same as Seattle. Uh, three of those shots went in. One of those probably should have gone in. It was a rocket from Gustavo Bo. That was, that was an amazing stave by uh, Stefan Fry. Uh, and then there was another play at the end. Uh, one of the other shots was the Diego one-timer where Christian Pena uh, kind of has that curly cross to Diego and he, he one-times it nicely, but unfortunately right at Stefan Fry. So really they could have put in five goals on the day, which is pretty good considering they, they were facing a really, really difficult Seattle team. So for a team that at the beginning of the year it went, I think, like nine or ten games without a shot from their uh, center forward to come in and convert three or seven shots and have another two two or three really, really big chances, uh, this offense is very strong. And they've been hit or miss the last few games, but a really, really strong uh, performance from the offense in a game where they needed to convert their chances to get a point. I, I think we also need to talk about uh, Carlos Heel, who... Had another great game yesterday. Uh, he's now at nine goals and ten assists uh, this season, as I mentioned in the opening. He has five goals and eight assists in the last ten MLS games. Probably the most impressive stat I've seen is that he has a goal and an assist in four of the last five games. I have him down as my player of the game uh, for the Revolution. Matt, any issue with making Carlos Hill player of the game? Uh, do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I agree with, with him being the player of the game. I kind of torn between him and Turner but those those two minutes in the second half where the two goals got by him but Turner had some huge saves too but I'd have to agree that Carl's I think takes it for this one it is kind of weird thinking that Matt Turner conceding three times was uh is potentially the player of the game but we are a pro Matt Turner podcast uh, we, we are uh, very much in the corner of Matt Turner. And he did have some very good saves, especially in the second half when the Revs were absorbing their pressure. Seattle had them on the back foot. Uh, Matt kept it 2-1 to one most at a time when most goalies would not keep it 2-1. to one, So, And credit to Stefan Fry, too. I, I just mentioned he had two big saves. It's very weird that two goalies both concede uh, three goals, but I thought it was actually a very, very good day for the goalkeepers. Uh, getting back to Carlos Hill, he had two shots, both of them on target. Of course, one was a penalty kick. He actually had an okay day passing. He was 50 for 70, 71.4% uh, uh, conversion rate, 24 for 41 in the attacking third, but still made his uh, presence now. He had 12 ball recoveries working in that uh, 5-3-2 press and he was 24 for 41 in attacking third passes. So um, really made the offense tick and you talked earlier, Matt, about uh, not having a lot of fight, or, or sorry, the refs having a lot of fight. Uh, I think Carla Azeal was one of the few guys that was really churning. He seemed to be a little tired and worn out towards the end of the game, uh, but kept fighting and draw, drew that penalty uh, going into the uh, uh, final minutes of the game. Uh, the only other person I want to kind of mention is Gustavo Bo. Uh, three goals and one assist in his first five games. As I mentioned, a rocket of a shot from Gustavo Bo. It begs the question, and I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, Matt, but do you have any opinion on where Gustavo Bo should be playing? Uh, we did get a question from Mike Kennedy. He asked if Gustavo Bo should be moved to a, a false nine while Carly's heel plays the 10. It looks like the Revs, you know, they're shifting their formation. They're trying to see what works. And Gustavo Bo, with the exception of the LAFC game, and then for most of that FC Cincinnati game, has been really, really effective so far with the Revolution. Um, Matt, do you have any thoughts of where's the best spot for Gustavo Bo to be playing? I think as long as he's on the field, I'm okay with it. But uh, <laughs> I kind of I like him on the wing. You know, I like the what him and Carl Seal have going. You know, the the give and go there. He actually he's got some some chemistry with Castillo, which is maybe the the only saving grace for Castillo in my mind. What he's doing with both, he's got a 
two given goes actually off of Castillo now that I was pretty impressed with. You know, you mentioned the play with uh, Castillo, and, and certainly that was a great cross by Castillo. We'll, we'll, we're still in the complimenting phase of Edgar Castillo. We'll, we'll get to the bad part in a little bit, but um, yeah. that was a really, really nice one-two uh, uh, to, from uh, Bo to Castillo back to Bo. Bo kind of leaves it on, uh, leads Castillo up the wing, and then charges into the box, and Castillo puts it perfectly for, for Gustavo Bo. That's a really exciting play that I don't think we see from the Revs earlier this season, or certainly last year. Uh, I, I don't think they had anyone as talented as, as Gustavo Bo to finish goals, and I don't think they had anyone like Edgar Castillo since Chris Tierney who could cross a ball like that. And, and there were a couple other plays, too. Gustavo Bo in the 41st minute um, kind of led Carles Hill into the box, but it was just a little bit out in front. Um, I mentioned too, Gustavo Bo had that rocket of a shot uh, uh, that was saved by Stefan Fry. That really, I'm really upset that was not a goal. That was an absolutely incredible save by by Stefan Fry. So, yeah, Gustavo Bo, uh, he was up top. For, I think this is the first time they, they've played him up top. Maybe I, I'm trying to remember. Most of the time, it's been a four-two-three-one. I think they've kind of played him in the wing or in the center. It seems like this game they kind of played him and Teal Bunbury up top. So this was kind of him the first time as a striker, quote-unquote, but um, he was certainly very, very effective, and I'm not sure, I, I wouldn't be opposed to him playing kind of a nine role, but it seems like they want him on the wing or in the central midfield to kind of work with Carlos Heel and the players, like, as you said, Edgar Castillo, he seems to have some connections with some players. We talked a few weeks ago, too, about how he's still getting used to his teammates. Uh, you can see every single week they're getting a little bit more and more on the same page, as exhibited with that uh, Castillo play, so... We're actually going to hop into listener questions because everyone, we have a bunch of questions that kind of cover everything else we want to go into today. Um, but we'll start with the easy one. Zach Rhymes asked us, is, was that the craziest game of the season so far? Um, and I'll lead this one off by saying that the only one that I, I could, there's two other nominations. Uh, I, I say the 4-4 game at Sporting Kansas City was pretty crazy. That was a pretty back-and-forth game. And I think considering the Revs were kind of at their low point, uh, they were start, You know, that was the ending of the uh, Friedel era. You really did not have a lot of expectations to go into uh, Kansas City to score four goals, kind of have that back-and-forth game. That was a pretty crazy game. And I also, uh, for the, the weather and the circumstances, I want to nominate the 2-1 to one game at Colorado on the 4th of July that ended on July 5th. Uh, I think those two games are certainly strong contenders for the craziest game of the year. Uh, but I think this game was back and forth. It had a little bit, a little bit of everything. Um, certainly a strong nomination. So, Matt, I'll let you make the determination. Was Saturday's game at Seattle the craziest game of the year? Yeah, I, in my opinion it was, yeah. It was probably between this and that Colorado marathon game. But this one, uh, the result wasn't as good, but a lot of excitement back and forth. Yeah, and, and there were six goals and still so many more scoring chances beyond that. So I think if you were a neutral fan, yesterday's game was the most enjoyable of the year. Um, I think if you're going crazy, you know, a, a five-hour rain delay game, uh, I, I think earned some bonus points. So um, moving on, E.P. Griner asks us, do you think MLS finds Bruce for his halftime comments about VAR? I hope he keeps speaking in his mind. Love it. Uh, and so I, I actually wouldn't be shocked if they do find him, but... He didn't say a whole lot that would warrant a fine. I, I'm not sure. I could go either way on this one. Uh, I, I do kind of want to talk with you, Matt, about um, VAR. Uh, what are your thoughts on VAR? Do you think it's a net positive? Do you think it's a net negative? In one case, we saw it, it really go in the Revs' favor. Uh, rightfully so, too. The ref took away Michael Mancien's goal at first, and then rightfully VAR overturned it. And then VAR kind of took away a goal um, from Edgar Castillo later in the game. So, uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on VAR? Are you pro-VAR? Do you think there's still a ways to go? Or do you think the system is working just fine? Uh, they, I think it definitely needs 
some tweaking done to it. But overall, I think it's a good thought, but, you know, there's been a couple of occasions where play goes on too long, I think, before they blow the whistle and go back and take a look at it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, too, as Bruce Arena said, the people running it are not, not the best at it. They seem to be uh, struggling a little bit in terms of how to implement it, which... Uh, it's a very imperfect system, but uh, I think you're absolutely yeah. right there. We also got another comment from uh, Gustavo Bo, the best striker on Discord. Would you rather watch that game and feel like you smoke three packs of cigarettes or watch a boring 0-0 game that has no ill impact on your life? I'll take that game over 0-0. It makes me feel alive at least. Uh, I, I, I second that statement. I certainly needed a stiff drink after that game, uh, but I think that's a game that we'll look back on this season and, and smile at, whereas a 0-0 game like last year's game against Seattle, which had absolutely no offense, uh, was incredibly forgettable and just a miserable night overall. So uh, Both games are at a point, but I think yesterday was a lot more enjoyable. Uh, Josh Nye asks us, what are your thoughts on Edgar Castillo's goal, quote-unquote? Although that might have been an own goal, too. I keep calling it Edgar Castillo's goal, but uh, I, I think it might have been gone as an, as an own goal for Seattle. Uh, should it have stood, or was it right to be called off? Um, and, and I'll handle this one first. I, I think that, uh, in case you forgot, there was a play in stoppage time in the first half. Ball was kind of bouncing around in the box. Uh, Stefan Fry looks like has his hands on the ball a little bit, it's arguable if he has full control or not, but Edgar Castillo essentially kicks the ball out of his hands. The ball continues to kick around, and then the ball ends up in the back of the net. VAR it went to VAR. They decided to overturn it because they said that Stephen Fry had control of the ball. Uh, I did consult our senior refereeing expert and Connecticut resident, Jake Catanese, also of the Bent Musket, uh, and he said it was a no doubt you have to overturn that call. Um, Jake certainly seems to be very confident in it. I'm not going to disagree with Jake at all, so... Uh, I think that'll be our official stance of that uh, that play. Uh, moving on, Dave Stinkin' Cedar says, uh, this is also a Discord question, too. If you're not on the Revs Discord, I, I thoroughly encourage you to hop on. They have some chats during the game, which are always a lot of fun. So, uh, But anyway, he asks us, is there a single person on earth besides Christian Pania who thinks that Pania should have taken that penalty kick over Carly's Hill? Uh, which... <laughs> And if you didn't, if you didn't, if you missed it, uh, when Carlos Gil draws a handball uh, penalty kick, uh, he goes over to take the uh, take the kick, and Christian Pena seemingly wanted to take the shot, which a bit of an interesting call. I, I don't know if there's anyone that uh, that felt Christian Pena should have should have gone up there. Not that Christian Pena is necessarily bad at penalty kicks, but uh, Carlos Gil has been pretty money from the spot and was again yesterday. Matt, I'll, I'll ask you this. Uh, is Carla Ezeal, should he be the penalty kick taker going forward, or is there someone else in mind that you think should uh, should have a chance at penalty kicks? No, I like him taking it. I think as far as Pania, I don't know. He's probably got some family that would have uh, been okay with him taking it. But, yeah, besides the Pania family, I don't know who else would have preferred them to take it before, uh, uh, rather, instead of Carl Zeal. But, yeah. uh you must have I'd like in, to see. You must have him in fantasy or something like that. If you if you if you want Christian Padilla <laughs> to take that, I'm not sure who is. Uh, you know, oh man, Christian's not taking it. Uh, Carly Azil has been. I, I should have pulled up his PK stats, but he's such an accurate kicker and he's so calm and collected. Uh, he seems like the obvious choice. Maybe Gustavo Bo. We haven't seen a Gustavo Bo penalty. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm not sure. You know what Gustavo Bo's done for penalty kicks, but he's he's got a rocket of a shot, so he could be number two. I think Gustavo, it's good to have options too. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think Christian Pena is a bad choice to take a penalty kick, uh, but Carly Skill, as I say, I, I especially think too that the fact that 
you know, the midfield was very tired in those closing minutes, and Carlos Gil uh, was still out there motoring around and uh, drew the handball. Uh, I, I think he certainly, does, you know, he's the captain of the team. He drew the handball. I, I certainly think he deserves the benefit of the doubt. Uh, whereas Christian Pena, who came on ten minutes <laughs> earlier, I think he needs to, I don't know, know his role a little bit. But uh, yeah, exactly. Mo- moving on to uh, talking about subs. Uh, nearby Eclipse on Discord asks us, uh, did Bruce get his tactics and subs right? Uh, and just to go through the subs, he only used two of them. Christian Pena went on for uh, Edgar Castillo in the 68th minute, uh, and Diego Fugugunez came on for Brandon Bay in the 86th, or, or I'm sorry, the 82nd minute. Uh, so both wingbacks kind of coming off for offensive players. I, I will say tactics-wise, I-, I don't think I can really criticize it a whole lot because they ended up getting two goals in the first half. Uh, they ended up really... Keep pinning Seattle deep and minimizing Seattle's chances um, early. Uh, I tweeted out a stat. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I think it was something like uh, Seattle had 58% possession in the first half, uh, and the ball was held in Seattle's uh, uh, own half 64% of the time. So Seattle wasn't working the ball up the, the field at all very well. Uh, Gustavo Bo, Carles Hill, uh, Teal Bunbury did a really, really good job of pressing and keeping the ball on their side. And also Edgar Castillo and Brandon Bay. I know they didn't have the best games defensively, uh, but they are also very good in the press uh, and keeping teams on their back foot. Maybe there could have been some adjustments in the second half. Uh, there was a lot of space between the back line and the midfield, um, as Seth McComer uh, on Twitter pointed out a number of times. Uh, so they, they didn't really adjust in the second half, and they seemed to be a little bit more on the back foot, and Seattle really dominated the first 15 to 20 minutes of that game until they, they took a 3-2 lead. So uh, maybe Bruce was a little bit slow to adjust his tactics and, and kind of get some reinforcements in there. But I think overall, the 5-3-2, 3-5-2 formation that we saw worked out really, really well for the first time using it. Uh, and in terms of subs, I think Castillo needed to go off. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, I think Brandon Bay going off was a bit of an obvious call. They needed that goal, so they, you know, subbing on Diego for Bay um, was a bit of a no-brainer. Maybe they could have used Juan Agadello at a certain point. I'm sure if they didn't get that handball call, that third sub would have been used in the closing minutes. Um, but the only real criticism I have about the subs is that they didn't come a little bit earlier. Um, Matt, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, uh, but do you have any criticisms of Bruce Arena yesterday or any general thoughts about that 5-3-2 we saw? No, I think the 5-3-2 is okay. I think it probably helped to uh, ease Mancien back into gameplay, too. Uh, and it, I guess five defenders on the back line definitely helps with uh, Castillo when he doesn't track back and uh, when he forgets that he's actually a defender. So uh, you, would, you would think, but as we <laughs> saw yesterday. Um, no, you actually do bring up a, a really good point. Michael Mancien, we don't know uh, if, you know, they're, eas- they're clearly easing him back into play uh, with Tony De La Maya out too. I, I think that they wanted to kind of give him a little bit of extra cover because as we see when those outside backs really push up, um, you know, we see Andrew Farrell and Tony De La Maya, uh have to sprint back and make some emergency runs. And I'm not sure if Michael Mancien is quite there yet to uh, make some emergency defending. Uh, so absolutely really good point about uh, Michael Mancien kind of being eased back. Um, I, I'm curious to see what they end up going with next week uh, with Andrew Farrell out and Tony De La Maya. Well, we'll get to that in a second. I, I'm, I'm spoiling the end of the, the podcast, but uh, 
Uh, we'll move on to Teal Bunbury first. Uh, Gboy213 on Discord asks us, does Teal deserve to stay in the starting lineup after that one? I understand he probably works harder in games than anyone, but the lack of quality on the ball was unbearable today. Uh, and, and Matt, let me roll, uh, reel off some stats here first, because it's been four games since we uh, have not gotten a Teal Bunbury goal. The Teal Bunbury hot streak is over. I, I, I just want to kind of caveat that with saying his stats actually aren't terrible. He had two shots that were off target, which... You know, Teal has these stretches where he doesn't... Uh, actually, I think one shot was off target, one shot was blocked. Uh, but he was still 30 for 37 passing, that's 81%. 13 for 17 in the attacking third, 3 for 4 on passes into the penalty box. He had a chance created, which was the Gustavo Bo a rocket of a shot. He was one miracle Stephen Fry save away from an assist. Uh, and he was only dispossessed once. I think he had six uh, ball recoveries, uh, three for four on tackles, two for two on clearances. Uh, and he had a cameo at left wing back when <laughs> Edgar Castillo needed to get out of the game. Uh, so, Matt, we have this uh, kind of Teal Bunbury discussion every week of whether or not he should stay in the lineup, what to do with him, where to play him. Uh, what are your thoughts on Teal Bunbury and, and how do you think he should be utilized if he deserves to stay in the starting lineup? Uh, definitely not Teal's best game. I mean, he's all over the field, though. He, I, I want to say at the end of the game, uh, in added time, actually, in the second half, he was involved in, in getting in the way of a shot uh, and helping it go just wide of the goal, too. So, not his best offensive game, but I don't know if, until he has a few more bad games, I don't think I'm ready to take him out of the, uh, the 11. Yeah, and... I, I think, too, as you mentioned, you know, he's so versatile. You can play him on the wing. Apparently, you can play him at wing back now as in a five-man back line. Um, you can play him up top. Uh, I think a lot of people kind of measure Teal and how good he is based on goals scored. Uh, and really, he does a lot of working, too, in the three-five-two. as I say. You know, they did a lot of pressing. Uh, they need a lot of defensive help from... You know, the guys up front, because they're a little bit more stretched thin. You know, Zahibo, uh, uh, Luis Castillo, really had a lot of room to cover yesterday and a lot of runs back. So uh, I, I think Teal Bunbury worked in that 5-3-2. I would not be shocked if we get a home game against, say, Chicago in two weeks, where maybe they kind of go back to a 5-2-3-1 and they want their best offensive players. And maybe Teal is a bit of a sub that can hold the lead. Uh, but um, I, I don't think yesterday's performance is enough to boot him out of the starting lineup. Um, but his hot streak is over. I wouldn't be shocked if he's kind of one of these players like Juan Agadello, who's in one game, out one game, based on the matchup. Uh, they have so many pieces that can mix and match up front. So, um, or, or you can move him to left back, which honestly is not out of the question at this point. But uh, we'll get to the defense now, Matt. We've been waiting. I know all of our listeners have been waiting to hear us complain about how terrible this defense was when you concede three times and your goalkeeper had a decent day. That means your defense is really bad, and I think it was extremely bad considering there were five men along that back line. Um, so we'll, we'll first question here from uh, Shane on Twitter. He says, next week is going to be tough with Tony out again uh, and Farrell suspended. Uh, Edgar Castillo has become a liability out there, and Arena needs to address it immediately before he's responsible for more conceded goals. Um, then David B. asks us, will our back line survive as Tony is still injured and Farrell is suspended? Uh, and then Mohammed Hussein says, uh, in my opinion, two drop points here. What would you say is our optimal back line? So let's, let's go here, Matt, and there's a lot of different answers from a lot of different people. Edgar Castillo is not everyone's favorite player. Brandon <laughs> Bai is not everyone's favorite player. The center backs has been a game of, you know, rotating pieces in and out, out all season. So 
let's get you on the record here. Uh, what is your optimal back line? And, and for, for the purposes of, you know, we'll say it's a four-man back line. Let's just say that five-man back line was strategic yesterday. But uh, if you're Bruce Arena, who are the four guys you're running out on that back line? Uh, if everyone's healthy, I yeah, oh yes, I, everyone, everyone healthy, no suspensions. I'm sorry. Let me let me caveat that. Too. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Farrell go back out to the right back, and then Delamea and Mancian in the middle. And uh, I don't know about Castillo. He <laughs> he. Uh, I guess he could start in the left back, and then if the Revs get a lead, put in anyone other than him, kind of as a defensive <laughs> replacement. Teal Bunbury, man, I'm, I'm telling you, I wouldn't be shocked if Teal Bunbury gets a few more cameos at left back. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a bit of a tough ask. A lot of people think Dewan Jones should be starting at left back. I'm not sure where, when we decided Dewan Jones was this defensive left back who's a stud. I, I think he has three or four appearances at left back, and I haven't been totally blown away with his defensive ability. He's a rookie. He's a converted winger, similar to where Brandon Bay was last year. And truthfully, I don't think he's as good as Brandon Bay was at left back last year. So, um, And the other thing, too, with Edgar Castillo is he is not a good defensive player. Uh, if you've listened to our podcast before, we are not saying Edgar Castillo is a good defensive player, but he does contribute a little bit offensively. He has five assists on the season. That's good on third, third for the team. Uh, you know, I think that's a give and take where Bruce Arena is willing to give up something defensively for Edgar Castillo's ability to push up and cross the ball to Gustavo Bo or Teal Bunbury. But man, it's frustrating. It's really, really frustrating. And every time you can see Edgar Castillo, um, you know, making a few promising plays here and there, boy, uh, he really just you know, comes back and bites you. And I say that as someone that tweeted out, Edgar Castillo is better than you think uh, before before the <laughs> second half. So obviously eating a little bit of crow on that one there. So yeah, if I'm taking my back line, I, I still am taking that trade off of Edgar Castillo. Uh, I'm not willing to drop him just yet. The middle, assuming Mancien is healthy, I think he's going to be starting there. Uh, and I think De La Maya has also earned a starting spot. I think Andy Baba is going to be your third uh, center back. And then I, I think Andrew Farrell pushing him back to right back is fine. And then, you know what I would do? If you have a lead, you need to protect it. Put Brandon by at left back. He wasn't terrible at left back last year. I think he actually is probably a better left, defensive left back than um, Edgar Castillo at this point. So I, I think using Brandon by at left back where he played last season is not a terrible, you know, late game sub if you're protecting a lead. Um but there is no real great answer at left back, and I, I wish they had addressed that earlier in the season. So um, I, I do. We do have a lot of other questions that I want to uh, just kind of note because a lot of people were very, very upset with Edgar Castillo. Uh, <laughs> uh, Cambo six on Discord says, uh, "My question is: Can we move Bren by out of the lineup now? Mancien back in, and Farrell at right back after a suspension." So Cambo six kind of on our wavelength, Matt. C-Money08 says, with the attack playing well and their personal struggles defensively, are Castillo and Bai doomed to sitting on the bench once Farrell is back from suspension and Jones is healthy? Uh, so C-Money thinking that. Uh, who, which, by the way, it, uh, <laughs> uh, Carl claimed was C-Money last week. So Carl, this is apparently from Carl Sutton. <laughs> so uh, Carl thinks that Tuan Jones uh, should move in for Castillo. Uh, and then Mike Kennedy kind of agrees on that line of thought. Thoughts on the back four of Tuan Jones at left back, Annie Baba, Mancian at center back, and Bai at right back. Uh, we don't know if he, he 
he might not be considering De La Mea for the injury, uh, so I, I didn't follow up with him on that one. But similar kind of thought uh, from Mike Kennedy, too, although he still has Brandon Bayet right back. Uh, Mike Kennedy says, Bench Castillo, he was responsible for two goals. So I, I actually want to ask your question on this, Matt. So I'm not defending Edgar Castillo for stopping running after that first goal. But that first goal, uh, Jordan Morris, low cross through the face of goal. It looks like Annie Baba, the ball goes right through his legs. Didn't seem like anyone was very upset at Jaleel Anibaba yesterday for letting that ball through. I- I'm still not sure if he kind of got tripped up on his feet or he didn't know what he was doing or if he was intentionally letting the ball go thinking no one was on that back post. But uh, am I crazy for thinking Anibaba should be getting a little bit more flack for not kicking that ball out? Uh, I give him a little bit of the blame, but I think it's the thing with Castillo is just it's so obvious that he's not getting back into the, the defensive position on plays like that, and we've seen it time and time again throughout the season, especially throughout the run that the Revs have been on, you know, where they've had some good results, but it seems like any time there's a defensive breakdown and a, just a, a real bad-looking goal, he's, you know, nearby. So, <laughs> Or he's not nearby, which is yeah, even bigger problem. Yeah, he should be nearby. <laughs> he, he certainly seemed to slow down a little bit, and I was trying to determine if he slowed down because he thought Annie Baba had that ball. It, it's not an excuse. He should be finishing the play regardless. Uh but, yeah, it, it was a very bizarre play because the ball's going across goal, and he seems to slow up, and I would give him more of the benefit of the doubt if he didn't do the exact same thing 40, 40 or 50 minutes later uh, where there's a cross coming in, and he just seemingly has no idea that Harry Ship is making a cut in behind him. I, I'm not entirely sure what he thought at that point. Um, I went back and watched on replay. It looks like at one point Annie Baba is kind of by Harry Ship, so maybe Edgar Castillo thought Annie Baba was back there and was unaware that Annie Baba ran back to the center, uh, but Castillo was not guarding anyone. He was completely ball-watching, and um, he's just been absolutely brutal as a ball-watcher, so or, or absolutely brutal as a, a defensive player uh, this season, and yesterday was no better, so you, you have a little bit of good and a lot of bad with Edgar Castillo. I'm not sure if he starts next week. Um, It'll be interesting to see what they end up doing. I, I think he's starting until Dewan Jones is at least back, but um, I wonder if, with Michael Mancian coming back, if we do see Andrew Farrell or Brandon By kind of give cover to that left side, uh, at least in, uh, uh, when they're leading. So, uh, Mike Kennedy also had one more thought, though. Uh, Tayon Buchanan, uh, he thinks, should be moved to uh, the right mid spot uh, or, or potentially move there uh, in, in the future. He, uh, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Tayon Buchanan finally back into the uh, 18. For the first time in a while, Tayon Buchanan did also have some really, really good appearances under Brad Friedel. We haven't really seen much of him since Bruce Arena. Um, it's kind of tough to fit him into the lineup with the offense performing very well and with so much depth up there. Uh, but with Justin Reddix being loaned out, maybe there's a spot for Tayon Buchanan. Uh, Matt, are you a Tayon Buchanan fan? Do you think he should be getting some minutes kind of late in games, or do you think he's relegated to the bench for the rest of the season? I think we're probably going to see him on the bench. I'd, I'd like to see him play, but with the way the offense has been playing, there's really not room for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a total... He's totally blocked, in my opinion. And I'm not sure where you put him in. He seems to be getting spots... Uh, in the, if he was to get spots in the A-team, I think maybe you put him in late in games. Maybe you put him in... Um, you know, if you're winning three nothing, four nothing, and you want to give him twenty minutes here or there, but I'm not really sure where he fits. Uh, I, I'm not opposed to him getting some minutes on the wing too. And another thought I had too, I, I didn't really think about it until this question, but you know, last year when he was at Syracuse before he was drafted, 
you know, he played striker. He played up top uh, as a quick guy that stretched the defense and could uh, go after some long balls. So I would like to see, you know, if we're having this question of if Teal Bunbury should be moved to the bench or moved to left back, question mark, um, which I still don't totally hate. I don't know if that's a, you know, we didn't really address that, but I still don't totally hate that. Um, if we need a guy to play up top, I think Tayon Buchanan might earn a shot and see what he can do. Um, but we'll, 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 see, we'll see how that goes. I, I do think it is um, a bit of a sign of trouble for Tayon Buchanan that Isaac Anking and Justin Rennox, who are two guys that were held in high regards, were loaned out to USL teams, and he was not. Uh, I, I feel like, I don't know, that is a little bit concerning for me because I don't know how much um, Tayon is going to develop. Uh, moving on, uh, we have one more question from Discord. Uh, Heal his dad, uh, which is not his real name, I assume, I'm guessing, but uh, he asks us, who are some trade targets you think are realistic around the league? Uh, and, and I'm going to include some, some, assuming that this is pre-trade deadline, because the um, trade deadline was August 8th, Revs, uh, the Revolution can still sign players that are not without a team, so if they're, they can sign free transfers, uh, but then, you know, the trade deadline with other MLS teams have passed. Uh, there are a couple of guys that did were traded uh, in the past few weeks. Andre Gutman, who uh, signed with Celtic, uh, he was the national uh, NCAA player of the year last year. I forget the name of the trophy. Uh, but his rights were traded from Chicago to Cincinnati. He's a left back, and he'll be playing the rest of the season. He's already made his first appearance with FC Cincinnati. That might have been an interesting name. Uh, he was traded for, I think, like 150000 in allocation money, but it's on a loan. Um, it's, a, it's a short-term rental. It's kind of interesting that Cincinnati made that move because they're going hillward this season. Uh, Eric Miller also was traded from Minnesota to New York City FC. That might have been an option. Um, again, not a not a big price tag. I think that was about fifty thousand in allocation money. But he's not much of a quality player. I don't know if he would have made things a little bit better. But uh, a couple of guys that we we actually did this last year, where uh, me and I think Brian O'Connell was on the podcast. We kind of threw out some names that if we were the Revs, we'd, we'd make phone calls about. Uh, I, I kind of went through kind of the teams at the bottom of the standings, kind of going through team by team, seeing if there's anyone that would. Um, you know, have a left back or a right back that was willing to be, you know, uh, uh, sent away. Uh, and there weren't really a lot of huge fits. That might be why Bruce Arena was uh, kind of held his current hand and stood pat on trade deadline day. But um, the one dream acquisition that I think that uh, uh, would be great for the Revs was Ali Adan, who is a left back for Vancouver. That wouldn't have worked out because he has a designated player contract through 2021. It seems like the Revs didn't want to hand out another designated player contract uh, in the middle of this transfer window. I think they want to wait till the offseason to sign another one. Another guy that I think might have been a decent fit would be Keegan Rosenberry, who was traded from Philadelphia to Colorado. Colorado and their plague-infested stadium is not going to see any playoffs this year. Uh, Rosenberry signed a three-year extension in the spring, so he's apparently committed to Colorado. But maybe that would be a person that could fit with the Revs uh, and add a little bit of something. Uh, there was a guy, Akeem Ward, who was drafted 14th overall from D.C. United. He was actually released by D.C. United, and he signed with any Rev South down in Birmingham with uh, Jay Heaps and Tommy Sohn. Uh, he actually played left and right back. Uh, I actually talked to uh, another reporter uh, who covers the Revs who really spoke highly of Akeem Ward and thought he would be a really good fit. Uh, I don't know I think he would be a starter, but if we're talking about a left back who can come in 
and play defensively for Edgar Castillo in the winding minutes. He might have been a better fit defensively than um, Edgar Castillo or uh, uh, Dewan Jones or Brandon Bay. A lot of people had a lot of great things to say about him, and I, I went back and, and looked at a bunch of uh, uh, articles from the Super Draft. Uh, I think Matt Doyle said he was the best two-way outside back in the draft. So that was a guy that... I. I think would have been a low risk that they could have gone after. He would have been on a free, uh, but he seems to be, he spent most of the season not with DC United, but Loudoun United, their USL affiliate, with mixed results. So he, he might not be MLS quality at this point, but it seems like someone who the Revs could have signed on a one-year contract and released at the end of the season and not extended him. Um, would have seemed like a no-risk signing to me, uh, but it didn't uh, end up coming true. Uh, another couple of guys that I, I, I'm going to throw out there, but Waylon Francis of Columbus, uh, he was traded to Columbus for 50000 in allocation money. Uh, I think that would have been a decent rental, uh, as I say, for someone to just kind of fill in a left back, which is really the area of need. Uh, and then Dave Romney of LA. LA was very active in the trade deadline. They needed a lot of target, targeted allocation money uh, for, for a signing that they made. And they were trading players left and right. Dave Romney, I think, has five or six appearances on the season. It would have been a nice depth piece for the Revs ad. But that, that's kind of my um, trade targets that I think they should have looked at. And, and all those guys are guys that can play left back or help out along the back line. Um, I, I don't think they need a lot of help offensively. I know we had some questions about do we need a striker? Do we need another offensive piece? But they're spending so much money and they have so many offensive weapons. And, and the offense has been very solid so far. It's the defense that is in need of tweaking. And if they're going to make a deep run, Edgar Castillo and Brandon Bay as your outside backs are very, very concerning. And we've seen LAFC and Seattle, two very, very good teams, uh, take advantage of the wide areas. And in, even yesterday, Moving to a five-man back line, there were still, still a lot of issues defensively along that back line. They're still exploiting the wide areas, which really should not happen. So, And um, let's go through some news of the week, too. Another trade that happened, former Rev, Kellen Rowe, traded for 75000 in targeted allocation money and an international roster spot. Seems like a very low amount. Uh, that's what I, I took away from it. It doesn't seem like a whole lot for Kellen Rowe, but uh, I think it was James Downing on Twitter corrected me and pointed out that Kellen Rowe's contract ends at the end of the season, and unlike most players who the rights are still owned by the team, uh, Kellen Rowe barely meets the qualifications for free agency, which is you have to be 28 years old, and you need uh, eight years of MLS experience. Uh, so Kellen Rowe is going to be a free agent, probably going to be playing in Seattle next year, coming off the bench for the Sounders. So Real Salt Lake acquires Kellen Rowe for very little, gets a rental for half a season, uh, kind of adds to their playoff push. Matt, any, any, are you sad at all that Kellen Rowe did not come back to New England? He could have filled in at left back. He probably would have been a better option <laughs> than, uh, than uh, Edgar Castillo. Any thoughts on Kellen Rowe uh, being moved to Real Salt Lake, or any thoughts on that? Uh, hopefully he'll see a little bit more uh, MLS action with Real Salt Lake, because I know he, he hadn't been playing uh, in the MLS much prior to that. But I think he's, uh, like you said, hopefully next year he'll finally get to Seattle, where I think he wants to be. So it should be a good move for him. Yeah, I, I think it's been kind of the... Uh, Worst kept secret for for years going on now. So, and I've also learned too. I mean, I, I knew Kellen Rowe was not really well liked. I kind of thought it was similar to Lee Wynn, where Lee Wynn, you know, there was a bit of a divide 
among the fan base. Uh, but from what I could tell on Twitter, Kellen Rowe is really not popular with Revolution fans. Um, I know Kellen Rowe made some comments when he was traded to Sporting Kansas City uh, and kind of talked about how it felt like a graduation and how he was finally a place where he was appreciated. Uh, and those comments are just really cold take there. Uh, <laughs> it did not work out for him in Kansas City. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if he finishes the season strong with Salt Lake City or Real Salt Lake. If he wins the uh, MLS Cup with Seattle uh, in future seasons, there will be a lot of angry Revolution fans. So, uh, Matt, uh, we're going to wrap up here. Do you have any final thoughts or shout-outs uh, um, that we didn't cover today? No. Uh, we've got a, just a big game tonight that I guess it'll it'll have already passed by the time this goes live. But uh, the Red Bulls are playing LAFC, so hopefully that'll give fans a good idea of what to expect coming up against them next week after we just played LAFC recently. So, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And, and that game is in L.A., which make, I actually don't know the odds on this game, but I would assume L.A. is able to win that game easily. They seem to be a lot more deep. Uh, I just want to give a quick uh, final thought to uh, Isaac Anking, who played for Charlotte. He played 75 minutes for the USL Charlotte side. Um, very impressive. Uh, I actually watched most of that game. They ha- already have him playing a kind of a eight-roll uh, cent- central midfield. Uh, looks like they were kind of playing a Christmas tree formation um, from what I could tell from Twitter and from what I saw in the game. I'm no expert on the Charlotte Independence, But Isaac Anking was already a major contributor to that offense. Really nice ball control, really nice uh, passing and distribution. Had a great through ball, a long through ball uh, into the box that set up the second goal. Uh, didn't get on the score sheet because it was a secondary assist, uh, but Isaac King at a young age is making waves in his USL debut. Uh, and if you're bored on a Friday or Saturday night and Charlotte is playing and New England isn't, uh, if you have an ESPN Plus subscription, I, I recommend uh, watching Isaac Anking and seeing what the future of the revolution is because uh, I, I'm not sure if he's going to be contributing in 2020, but there's been a lot of talk about, you know, Juan Aguadillo in the 8 role, if he's there, if he's a long-term piece there. Uh, I think Isaac Anking is going to be a huge contributor for the revolution at least in 2021. He's a very impressive uh, player at his age. So uh, highly recommend it if you're able to watch some Charlotte Independent soccer this year. Matt, can you give us uh, your handle and where people can find you on Twitter? Yep, I'm on Twitter as uh, at MMSportsFan. And then I'm writing, I do most of the game recaps on the Bent Musket. Yeah, and also follow the at the Bent Musket too. Matt, I know you're uh, just recently started up your Twitter. This is your first year with the Bent Musket, so I, I want to give our listeners homework. I think you're at about 65 followers on Twitter right now. Uh, I want you to be up to at least 80 by the end of this week. If you are on Twitter and you're following a lot of Revs writers, make sure you're following Matt uh, by the end of this week. That's your homework. Also, if you don't follow us on Twitter, you please do. We're at Revolution Recap. Also, you can like our Revolution Recap page on Facebook. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. The Revs head to New Jersey next week for a huge match against the New York New Jersey Red Bulls, as we talked about. Uh, a lot of playoff implications in this game, so a road win in New Jersey would be huge for the Revolution, who's in sixth place, one point above the playoff line. I think that's final. I don't think that's going to change, depending on results. But as of as of this recording, that's where they are sitting. So we're actually off next week in what might be our last bye week of the season. So we'll be back in two weeks to discuss the, the Revolution's home match against the Chicago Fire. Uh, until then, thank you, everyone, for listening, and go Revs.